Well, if you brought your copy of God's Word with you, I have you open with me. It's the book of Daniel. Let's try that again. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And we saw last week, if you remember, a lot of the challenges that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing. We also discussed how these challenges are the kinds of challenges that God's kids are going to be facing throughout the, uh, the, the course of our lives as well. Now, obviously, the context in our lives is going to be significantly different than the context that we see here in, in the book of Daniel. However, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were young men, and they were made of flesh just like the rest of us. And the challenges that they face and the challenges that we face, um, whatever, however they may come, will be a, a challenge, and I might even dare say a lethal challenge, to our progress in a Godward life. They'll be the things that try to hamper us or trip us up or cause us to stumble along the way. And so last week we saw specifically how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being, were, were in the world but not of it. And they were faced with the pressure of bowing before false idols and thus sinning against Yahweh. And I don't think I have to even articulate that in the culture in which we live, there are so many things that we could turn into idols of our hearts. And we are challenged almost every single t day to love those things more than we are to love God. Whatever it may be. And secondly, we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they were, they were exposed in the process of desiring to live a godly, righteous life. They were exposed by their haters. That's kind of a more cultural term there, they're haters, those who are despising of them, those who are trying to expose them for, for selfish purposes because of their unwillingness to succumb to the threat of the governmental powers of Nebuchadnezzar. And this morning, what we're gonna, as we pick up where we left off last week, we're going to pick up in verse 13. The first uh, thoughts that came to my mind in giving this little title here of psychological warfare was just that very thing. And we see this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be threatened with loss of life. If that's not psychological warfare, then what is? If they're unwilling to fall in line by falling down and paying homage to an image, this great golden statue, probably, in my estimation, representing Nebuchadnezzar and or the Babylonian gods, or perhaps, possibly, all of the above. And so we're going to see that in verses 3 through 15. In verses 16 through 18, I've just titled that section right there, Courageous Saints. And that's what we need to become in our day and age as well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego leave for us a, a wonderful legacy of what courage looks like. Of what it looks like in living color of, to truly have a fear of the Lord. Which, as you know from the Proverbs, is the beginning of Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we see wisdom being exercised here by these three young men under these extraordinary circumstances. And so we have a picture of what living according to wisdom looks like, which is courageous living before 
the only true and living God. And lastly, this morning we're going to see from verses 19 through verse 27, I'll put two words, continued confidence. We're going to see the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will show us this morning what true confidence in Yahweh looks like under great duress. And such confidence, as we've seen, if you remember back in chapter 1, is the kind of thing that is rooted in truly knowing the person of God. Of truly knowing the person of God, of having a relationship with the only true and living God, and that came to them by by means of understanding God through His Word. They weren't out in some vast void darkness trying to grope in the darkness trying to understand who God was. They had a Bible. They read the Bible. They said, this was what our God left us, this word, and so this is the God that we follow, and thus they had very clear instructions on how to live life. And as Christ followers today, we have a continued revelation that is now closed. We call it a canon from Genesis to Revelation. We have a word from our God. We know how he wants us to live life. We just need to have confidence and continued confidence in the goodness and greatness of our God. Amen? So notice again the typical response here from Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 13 through 15, psychological warfare. In verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I don't know if it's too much of a stretch, but have you noticed... Lately, half, you're not falling in line with certain desires of certain governmental powers and authority. There's genuinely some rage and anger in our culture today. Like, if you're willing to succumb your freedoms for the, for the greater good, there's genuinely rage and anger. And it's obvious, and it seems interesting that such rage and such anger oftentimes finds its expression against the very people of God, whether it's in the Bible or whether it's in our culture today. We see this. We're living with this. You're having to make real-life decisions based on other people's rage and anger that you're not willing to succumb and fall in their line and do things exactly the way that they say that should be prescribed for you and for everybody. So stand firm. These very men were brought, it says here at the end of verse 13, they were brought before the king. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been brought into the presence of somebody who has this kind of authority and this kind of power, and you know you're showing up under duress, and you know you're showing up not in favorable circumstances, this would be a very staggering thing to do indeed, would it not? Without question, it would be. And in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them in his rage and in his anger, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Is what I've heard about you to be true? We talked last week about those accusers, their haters, who showed up to the king and said, oh, by the way, king, there's some, there's certain Judean boys, and by the way, we have their names. And so we talked last week about who knows your name? Who knows your name within our culture of being someone who's a strong follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, unflinchingly a strong follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And then when confronted, is what I've heard about you true? Is this true of who you are? I'm going to give you a chance to reconsider. So in verse 15, he says, If you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you from my hands? Now, we might think that Nebuchadnezzar would know the answer to his own question in that he himself declared Daniel's God to be a God of gods and a Lord of kings back in chapter 2, verse 47. However, the reason that he gives there in chapter 2, verse 47, that he's a God of gods and a Lord of kings is that Daniel's God is simply a, quote, revealer of mysteries. Daniel's God was able to to communicate to Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and also its interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar was impressed, said that he was a revealer of mysteries. So perhaps in his mind, the Jewish God was good at dreams. But obviously, Nebuchadnezzar did not think that their God was able to save them from this fiery furnace, this blazing fire in which he was going to throw them, which would have also been something completely unimaginable and never done before, as was his previous request, which was the telling of him of his dream and its interpretation. But again, perhaps it seems that he thinks that Daniel's God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was simply good at dreams. What God is there who could deliver you from my power? Nebuchadnezzar's question is indeed a question, it seems, for the ages. The power, the might, the sovereignty of man over and against the power of God Almighty. And so we see in the text here that a climax has been reached, a stage has been set, and it's set in such a way where it's the power and the might of Nebuchadnezzar the great head of gold that he has thus turned into an entire statue of man, a golden statue of man, versus the power and might of the only true God of heaven and earth, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So notice now in verse 16, their reply. Which brings us to our next point of emphasis, which is the need for godly courage. The need for courageous saints, men and women of God who truly fear the Lord Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Well, this matter is a matter of life and death. And all they know to say to Nebuchadnezzar is, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. And so to me, it almost seems to be implied here in the response that they assumed that Nebuchadnezzar already knew the answer to his question. After all, it was Daniel who informed him again in chapter 2 that his power, his power and strength and glory came to him by the only true God of heaven and earth. So by deduction, you would assume that if Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was given power by the only true God of heaven and earth, he he was also a God of power. 
who could do other things than just maybe be a, maybe be a revealer of dreams. So in the matter of the idol, they knew that he knew that they weren't going to worship an idol. No need to even reply, but they also know something about the power of God that perhaps Nebuchadnezzar needed educating on. Nebuchadnezzar wrongly assumed that the God of the Jews was unable to save from his mighty hand. After all, if you think about it, in his mind he was probably thinking, well, where was their God to save when we, I, Babylon the Great, Nebuchadnezzar, the head, the entire embodiment of the golden statue, showed up and besieged Jerusalem and tore down its walls and deported their people. Where was their God then? So perhaps he's just a God who's capable of being a revealer of dreams, but he's not a very powerful God, perhaps. He was thinking such folly. Again, notice the reply. And again, this is before the most powerful political governor, political governmental official on, the, on earth during their day. Notice verse 17 and 18. They say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. What do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know about God's power and ability? He tells, they tell Nebuchadnezzar, if it be so, and our God is able, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Well, for starters, some of the things that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego knew about their God's power and ability perhaps was the creation of the world and man. Might be a good place to start. It was their God who spoke, and the very galaxies that we gaze out into and marvel upon were thus created. And every living thing upon this planet Earth was at the power of this God given form and life. They could have gone on to Noah's Ark and the worldwide flood and how with the intent of man's heart being evil continually, God was sorry that he even had created man. And he wiped them out. Aren't you glad for the rainbow? The promise of God that he wouldn't do it again because I can promise you if he didn't, we would be all underwater yet again. This world is a horrible place of trafficking of evil and sin. And we have human creatures crawling around upon planet earth, demanding justice. Let me tell you, we've got to get people the gospel. Because only true justice is going to come when that rock from Daniel chapter 2 comes like a meteor out of the sky and hits the feet of the power of men and, and destroys and, and abolishes all, all, all worldly powers. And it says, no trace is left. Whew, completely gone. And then the kingdom of God grows like a mighty mountain that encompasses the entire world. Then and only then are we going to have true justice. And so we can fight the small skirmishes if we want. I tell you, if you want to win the battle and win the war, you give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you change one life, one heart at a time. And then you give them the capacity to think rightly with regard to justice on planet Earth. Just like Daniel, excuse me, just like James said in James chapter 5. Remember in chapter 5, verse 7 of Daniel? He's talking to those who are suffering at the hands of the wealthy landowners. It says in verse 7 that even some of you have been put to death because of the suffering that they were enduring at the hands of the, of the wealthy landowners. And so he goes on and he says what? Here's how you need to respond. He says, be patient. Be patient, therefore, 
until the coming of the Lord. James knew that the coming of the Lord was soon. You know why? Because in the next verse, verse 8, it says, and His coming is near. The New Testament saints lived with the concept of the imminent return of Christ at His second coming. And then when that rock smashes the world powers and and abolishes them completely, gone, and establishes a kingdom, true righteousness will reign, as we were just singing, forevermore, forevermore. He shall reign, right? Were you feeling it? Man, I don't know about you, I was feeling it. And And I'm longing for that day. Because in this world we have suffering and trials and tribulation. Yes, a lot of love. Just being here with the body of Christ today is an example of a lot of love. And we feel the love of the body of Christ. And we go home to our families. A lot of love, hopefully, for all of us. But we live in, we're in this world, but we're not of it. The day is coming. He's coming again. And He shall reign forevermore and evermore. And we will reign together with Him, is what the Word of God teaches us. You want to know something about God's power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew. And we could go on and on. We could walk from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. We could give example after example after example of the power of God. But from their standpoint, their vantage point, the things they knew, the patriarchs, their sojournings, the great plagues of Egypt, the exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna quail from heaven, etc. They knew the power of God and that he was able to do whatsoever he pleased to do when he was pleased to do it and to whom he was pleased to do it to. Did they not? But what they don't know is if he will. Verse 18. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Isn't that good? We need more courageous saints, don't we? I like what this commentator says here. He says, the if at the beginning of this verse is not an if about the ability of God, but an if about the will of God. The three companions of Daniel know that God was able. What they did not know was if God was willing in this situation to deliver them. And this is so important for us to understand this. If God was willing in this situation to deliver them, they did not presume to dictate God's actions when they did not know His will. And it seems we have so many Christians in our culture today that presume upon knowing the actions of God and through the way they speak, they, they seem to be dictating how God must then therefore act. And oh, by the way, if He doesn't, whose fault is it? It's yours. It's yours. It's your fault. Why? Because you lacked faith. That, my friend, I believe is a doctrine from demons aimed to discourage the believer at the very core of their being. 
Because we would turn and say, what do you mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and You're saying if you don't have enough faith. Of course he's not going to deliver you. You should be standing there and saying, not only can he, he's going to just watch. You just wait. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to name it and claim it off my own lips of what God will do and he must do because I'm dictating God's will and what he has to do. No, there's some serious theology within this response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we need to, to, to settle our souls in. Because, listen, all of us are going to be faced with trials and hardships of life eventually. It's not a matter of if, but when on trials and hardships of life. And we would all do well and all would be well with our souls, come what may, if we understand the theology of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we go and we say like Jesus when teaching his disciples how to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God's capable we're going to watch and see what he does. But even if he doesn't, and we go down in blazes, just know it doesn't diminish the reality or the truth of who our God is and of his goodness in our life. And so in this culture, even if I go down with cancer, it wasn't because I didn't have enough faith when I prayed. That's not why God didn't heal me. God chose to glorify his name and to demonstrate the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the gospel through my sickness and my endurance of it and the joy I possess while going through it. I prayed. I asked God to heal me. But I said, Thy will be done. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's got the power. I just don't know if in this situation, in this circumstance, if, he, if that's what's going to bring the most glory to him. Isn't this this this? This, this is where we live life. I remember one of my uh, mentors one of the older men that started discipling me when I first got saved. I was thinking about him and when I hit this section of Scripture here. Jerry Strader always, he was a very simple man. Genius, he was a doctor, Jerry Strader, and he was a professor at the university. He was a genius, but he was such a practical and simple man. And he, we, Lisa and I would go over to their house for two and a half years. We went over to their house every Friday night with a group of young, adult, with young marrieds. Um, every, we gave up our Friday night every night as young marrieds to hang out with, a, with an older man and his wife to tell us how to make life work as a couple. And I'm so thankful that we did. We have reaped the fruit of that now almost 30 years in our own marriage of seeing it lived out in an older couple. That's the importance of life groups. People might have thought we were out of our mind. You mean you're giving up every Friday night? You could be going on some really cool dates. We'll date later. Going to this life group, this is our date. And then after the life group, you go on the other dates. They're in his life. But Jerry would always say things like this, and you've heard this before probably. He used the open hand principle in life. He said, guys, you've got to learn to live with an open hand before God, which is what I kind of see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing. The idea is you live with an open hand before God, and you just let God place into your hand things that he's pleased to give you. And you must always remember, he would say, that you're never an owner or, or a possessor of these things. You're simply a steward. 
of the things that God has placed in your hand, in your care, under your responsibility to take care of, whether that's your, your wife, which it is, your kids, your family, your job, whatever it may be that God has placed within your care, he's put in your hand. He said, but you have to live with an open hand before God. Because some, sometimes God is pleased to both give and then come along later in life and decide he wants to take away. Which takes us back to Job. God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. He said, the problem is a lot of us, even Christians, he says, God puts precious things into our hands and we, and we put a tight grip on it and we pretend as if we become owners of whatever these beautiful gifts that God's given us, whether they're children. And there may be even some of you here today who have lost children. God put precious children in your hand and in your care and you shepherded them and they were intended to bury you. But under God's providence, under those circumstances, God was pleased to take those children away. And hopefully, by grace, to himself. But when you put, but he said, when you clench your hand down on it, and you start becoming an owner, he says, that's when you start making these things, these good things, idols of your heart. And God says, there will be no other gods before me. There'll be no other loves greater than me in your life. And so sometimes God has to wrench those precious things out of your clenched hand. And even in the unwrenching of your clenched hand, that becomes very painful. He said, so you've got to live before God in such a way where you understand that you live before him. You have your being before him. And you've got to live with complete confidence and trust in him. So that if he gives and he takes away, you too can say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our God is able. Our God's able to deliver us from this situation. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if it costs my life, even if it's this sickness that I'm enduring right now, whatever I mean, even if he doesn't, blessed be his name for now and all times and forever. Amen? The theology of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, explained by Jerry Strader with an open hand. Therein is life. Look at verse 18 again. Let this sink in. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Mm. I love that. I should just pray right now. What time is it? Yeah, I should just pray and end right there because that feels good. I'm, I'm loving God right now. And, you know, so I'm, I'm praying, God, keep my hands open. Lord, is there anything in my life today, a good evaluation of the self? Is there anything in my life today that I've kind of put the clamp on? Are there any idols of my heart that I've elevated above my love for you, God, that I need to release and, and open up and instead just give you thanks that it's still currently here and, if, and, and be able to say, but Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you choose to take it away, my heart will still say, blessed be your name. If there's anything like that in your life today, let me encourage you before you leave here today to settle those issues with God. He is a lover of your soul who will never, ever ever disappoint. He's way more satisfying than all the good gifts that he's placed in your hand. 
If anything, let's leave here today more convinced of that than anything. Amen? Now this brings us to the next textual transition from verses 19 down through verse 27. Needing continued confidence. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to show us this morning what true confidence in Yahweh looks like under great duress. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. Verse 22, For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I guess that's one textual proof that well, maybe they threw them in and the fire just went out. The men just throwing them in were seared to death. Just throwing, carrying them up and throwing them in. Verse 23, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. I think the rage of Nebuchadnezzar is seen in the, in the command of the order of heating the oven up seven times harder than it's ever been heated before, it seems to kind of equate the rage with which he was having, the rage of man. He wanted, the, he wanted to make them suffer psychologically. He knew the second that they were thrown in that they would be gone, but the fear of the fire, he thought perhaps would be the only way that he could bring intimidation to them, bring them perhaps in line, but cause them the most pain and suffering before he could have them thrown into the fire was the mental anguish that he would uh, impose upon them through such orders. And I, in my thinking, I'm thinking, man, even if it was just like the one log fire, not the seven log fire, I'm going to be pretty terrified, man. I don't know about you, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not, I'm not even happy with a one log fire. But his rage and anger overtook him. And so we're, we're reminded from verse 15, uh, the words, let's see, of Nebuchadnezzar, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? You don't really think that your God can deliver you from my wrath, do you? I tell you, the pride of man and the power of sin seen in Nebuchadnezzar in this instance is so obvious, and sometimes we recognize it as such, and we say, yes, that is extremely obvious, but sometimes we fail to recognize the pride of man and the power of sin in less obvious ways, perhaps in others, and most importantly, in our own living. Let's make good order of that today as we are unclenching our fists, perhaps, and relinquishing control of all things back to God and viewing ourselves rightly as just simply those who are to be great caretakers over all things that God has given us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were resolved 
They had doctrinal convictions, remember from chapter 1? And they were resolved not to defile themselves by worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. And death was not only a possibility, it was a potentiality. And here in the end of verse 23, we say that they fall into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. They were faithful, as we say, all the way to the end. And my encouragement for us this morning, though our circumstances probably will never be so dire, could we strive within our heart of hearts to be faithful to God all the way to the end, just like this? There's a need today for courageous saints within the body of Christ who will stand up in the face of an unrelenting culture of death, destruction, and depravity of sorts that we never thought we would be seeing happening here in the United States of America. And this is where Christians must become salt. A preserving influence within a culture as long as God wills and tarries to retard the evil we see around us and to be light, to be an influence for good, to be a proclaimer of truth and that of the truth of the gospel. There's a pleasure in living for God that is indescribable and it's only attainable through our lives of trusting and obeying in Him and His Word. You remember that song that we probably all sang as a young child at one point? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Sometimes it just goes back to the simplest of childhood songs that we learned when we were kids, doesn't it? There's no other way There's no other way We've got to relinquish idols of our hearts There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust Even if he's unwilling to save us from your fire, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down and worship your idols. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but through trusting completely and obeying courageous saints living in this culture, just like they did in theirs. Let's be those courageous saints of God. Amen? Let's strive to be those courageous saints. And listen, if you're not killing sin and trusting and obeying, it will be killing you. And you will not be happy in Jesus. You will not be happy in your walk with the Lord. You probably are going to be struggling in almost every relationship you have. There's no other way. Do you believe that? No other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Listen, friends, God has all power and authority over all things. He's looking for hearts that are completely His, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's purpose to live like this, with this kind of resolve, 
faith in God, walking according to wisdom. This takes courage. You remember the um, missionary to Burma, or have you perhaps heard of the missionary to Burma, Adoniram Judson? He said, soon we shall be in heaven. Think about this. It's true. Oh, I've got 60 years of life left, Pastor. Yes, that's true. And soon you shall be in heaven. I had the opportunity this week, I went over to the, the Presence House and visited with our beloved Walt and Terry. Walt's 99 and a half years old. And I like just sitting there and I just, I just pepper him with questions. Walt, how, how quickly did you get to 99 and a half? And he tells me, it's just, just like the scriptures say. It's just like that. Soon we shall be in heaven. Oh, let us live as we shall then wish we had. Let us live as we shall then wish we had done. Amen and amen. Then in verse 24, I'm going to pick up my pace a little bit here. We're introduced to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a new way. As a God who is able to deliver from such disaster. In 24, the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We see here in this passage that Nebuchadnezzar sees a divine being in the midst of the fire. A fourth man loosed walking about. He sees four men loosed walking about. And the fourth, he says, is like the appearance of the Son of the Gods. Now, I don't know how quickly Nebuchadnezzar in his thinking that would probably have taken him back a few steps. And so perhaps he wasn't thinking, you know, it was just a short 20 years ago or so when Daniel gave me the interpretation of my dream and there was a rock that was cut without hands that becomes a, a, a kingdom that fills the entire world. I don't know if, if he was quick enough to kind of make a connection point or not that the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has made a divine appearance in this situation or not, but nonetheless, the text says that he was completely astounded and it has caught his attention. Now, if you're a reader of the Old Testament, <clears throat> and as you're reading along and you see this, you perhaps say something like, aha, there he is again. Here he is again, this divine being from God who just kind of appears within the text from time to time, whether it was with Abraham when he made a feast for the three men as they were coming to make the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Or perhaps it was Jacob when he went to sleep on Jacob's ladder and he saw the angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. Or Moses in the burning bush and the bush is speaking to Moses. And on and on we could go, but we perhaps at this point as readers of the Old Testament say something like, aha, there he is again. And it seems very clear from conservative scholarship that this divine personage that is seen in the midst of the fire 
is the very person or the pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And all we have about this fourth person here in Nebuchadnezzar is his testimony. It makes me think of verses like John 5.39 when Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these, these very Scriptures that testify about me. And then in Luke 24, then beginning with Moses, again Jesus, beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. And the only scriptures they had at that time were their Old Testament, our Old Testament. And perhaps this would have been one of those places, I've, I really hope that when we get to heaven, I would love if, if, that, if that sermon got recorded, wouldn't you like to hear that one? Man, that's the sermon of all sermons, I think, right there. I would love to hear Jesus walk through the Old Testament and start pointing out every place that told about him. Oh, man, that would be awesome. And so whenever I see this appearance and this personage again, it reminds me of these uh, truths of the person of Jesus Christ and his pre-incarnate state and showing up in the Old Testament and making these uh, appearances uh, with the saints of God. Notice verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around them and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor was their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. This, you might say, is a miracle. And the good news is today, church, is that our God is still a God of miracles. He can do whatsoever He wants, whensoever He's pleased to do it, with whom He's pleased to do it. At His own choosing, His own bidding, at any time. And with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is how He chose to show up. And sometimes the difficulty with a passage like this is that sometimes we overly Christianize this portion of the passage and we kind of presume that maybe this is how God is therefore then bound to act all the time. So I wanted to read a portion from you from the book of Acts. And this was so many verses, I chose not to throw it up on the overhead. But just listen from Acts chapter 6. This is the story of Stephen from verses 8 down through verse 15. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people, but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freemen, including both Syrians and Alexandrians, and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before 
the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Chapter 7, the high priest said, Are these things so? And then we jump down to verse 54. So I told you there's a lot of scripture right there. I, I don't even have time to read it all this morning. Go back and read this account of Stephen and have it as a good juxtaposition with what we see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now when they heard this, verse 54, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him, that Stephen, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The same Son of Man that was standing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the name of the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Sometimes, sometimes Christ will rescue his saints from the fire and the fiery furnace of life and the fiery difficult circumstances that we find ourselves falling in in this world in which we live when we stand for him. If he's willing to do that. And then sometimes Christ is willing to stand and welcome his saints into his very presence, as is their great reward. It's not either or, it's both and. And such is the theology of the scriptures. And we stand there at the precipice of that, and we don't become dogmatic on, no, God's going to save everybody, and if you don't, or heal everybody, and if you don't get healed, shame on you, as you're like, no, not at all. We pray and we trust. We don't know what God's will is. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. We know Jesus and we've committed it to him. We've committed ourselves to him. Come what may, our hands are open. Because sometimes Jesus shows up in the midst of the fire and you come out and not even a smell of smoke is on your clothing or on, and your hair is not even singed. But sometimes the rocks stone you to death and you die. Either or. The Lord gives, takes away What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? This is a great theology we learn from Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the truth of God and his word, and how as courageous saints we can continue to live courageously knowing these things to be true about our God. Amen? And when Jesus is your all-sufficient gain, both living and or dying is a reward. Paul said in Philippians 2, 20, 21. Which one is it? To live is Christ. It is. To live is Christ. To be happy in Jesus. To live is Christ. But to die, if that happens, great gain. Either 
or to the glory of his name. Well, let's pray.